Blog Talk Radio. Contra Radio Network presents the Contra Dawn Show with your host, Dawn Appleberg. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is Friday, 6 o'clock. We have, what, another week to go before everybody starts getting all goo-goo underneath the Christmas tree and handing out the presents for those of us who celebrate Christmas, for those who celebrate Yule, lighting the old Yule log, and once more handing out presents, and for those who don't believe in celebrating at all, it's another weekday. So, anyway, I thought it'd be kind of fun today to go ahead and kind of talk about some of the origins, and, you know, once more if you're on Facebook, which practically everybody is, I mean, surprisingly, there are some people out there who are not, for instance, like my husband, but for those who are on Facebook, now is also a time of the year where you start getting inundated with the, do you know where Christmas came from? And let me tell you, this year has been insane. I mean, I have been seeing some posts that are like flat out ridiculous when it comes to the origins and the historical reasons behind Christmas, to include some pretty extreme um, claims by different religions. Uh, if you've even seen one or two that deals with <laughs> that deals with uh, Muslims creating uh, Christmas, which we we know just is not possible, doesn't happen, and and it's not because I'm anti-Muslim or anything. It's just it's a Western civilization culture that deals with Christmas predominantly. And, you know, the Eastern civilization has completely different holidays. So that one, throw right out the window. And if you believe in it, sorry, I've got a bridge to sell you someplace in Arizona. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to go ahead and look at some of the origins that we've heard about and some of the traditions we've had. And then what I want to do is I want to wrap the show up by talking about some of the things you can do to bring the Christmas spirit back Because let's be honest, folks, when they start bringing the stuff out in August now, by the time you get to Yo-Ho-Ho and unwrapping the present, you're kind of burnt out even as a kid. So I put together a list of some of the things that you can do to go ahead and kind of bring the Christmas spirit back. And I also wanted to go ahead and touch on a controversial subject, and that's charities to avoid during the holidays not as a personal matter, but more of a um, more of a better business bureau matter, and then you know bringing the pros, the pros and cons for each of the, the charities out, so you can determine for yourself if you want to support or not based upon your political view. So let's go ahead and start. For the most part, when you think about Christmas today, now we are not talking about going history yet. We're talking about today. For the most part, what happens is you have uh, Christmas where you have um, a Christmas tree. you got the wreaths. you got the lights. You've got the, the family get-togethers. You've got the caroling sometimes. It's not as much anymore, but you still have places that carol. The Presents underneath the tree, the cook, milk and cookies for Santa, stockings. Have I missed anything? I don't think so. Oh, candy canes. Yeah, so, you know, we got pretty much a traditional understanding in the Western world what it's supposed to look like. 
Most people don't know where all of these things originated, and it's going to shock a lot of people because it doesn't come from any one culture. Now, the blanket statement we hear a lot lately is the Christians overlap their holiday onto the pagans in order to make it easier to convert pagans into the Christian theology. Yes and no. To be perfectly honest, yes and no. A lot of the dates, well actually I'm going to make I'm going to make a statement and this is going to really anger a lot of my Christian listeners. However, once you cool down, do your meditation, do your little, you know, whatever you need to do to go ahead and get back on the logical path. To be perfectly honest, there is not one Christian holiday out there on today's calendar that actually landed on an actual religious holiday of any kind without some type of pagan influence, save for one. And even this one's iffy, and that would be Ash Wednesday. The reason is because some people don't believe that Catholics are considered Christian, which that's a totally different show I don't even want to get into, but they, they, they fall underneath the umbrella of, of Christian, whether you like it or not. And Ash Wednesday, also the significance behind it, it deals pretty much with with um, giving up for sacrifice and everything for, for Christ's death and resurrection. It's, it's the second part of that. doesn't really tie into Ash Wednesday, but it still deals a lot with the significance of Christ's death and rebirth um, or resurrection. Now, with everything else, to include Easter, the holidays that you have today on the traditional calendar do not fall anywhere near the dates that it would have been during the actual time frame of Christ's life. And let me explain why. The calendar that was used during the time frame of Christ's life did not even have the same months and days as the calendar that was used now. The Romans came up with the calendar that we have now. Most of the dates that we have, which we have documented as religious holidays. And I'm very specific about the religious holidays because we're taking the political ones out. We're taking the individuals that are by nation, for instance, Boxing Day, Thanksgiving, this type of thing. But the religious holidays that are recognized and celebrated throughout the Western culture, they were time-stamped specific to the individuals at the time that they were attempting to convert into their religion because they were basically reinventing the wheel. The Romans really had a, a far the Romans really had far more influence into our culture than we really give them credit for. I mean, yes, we give them credit for the aqueducts, and we give them credit for our government uh, set up. Some people think it was because of England. The two-party system goes all the way back to Rome, people. Um, Oh, hey, we got Porky Pie who joined us. Welcome, Porky Pie. And I've got a friend of mine who I don't know if she's listening or not, but, you know, sh shout out to Shadow who's kind of vicariously being with me on Facebook today while we're doing this. Um, basically what happened with the Romans was that they, they had a lot of traditions that they wanted to go ahead and bring into or incorporate into the, the Christian society, but they also needed to appease a huge percentage of the population that were still polytheistic. And what that means is that they worship multiple gods. So we're predominantly talking about the Celts, we're predominantly talking Germanics, we're talking, you know, the Vikings, 
um, and you know of that ilk. And so what they were trying to do is they were trying to com- they were not only trying to convince these cultures that there was one God, which went against everything they believed, but they were trying to convince these cultures that the celebrations that they were doing were barbaric, and that they needed to go ahead and take an upgrade instead of slaughtering a cow or a calf for, you know, a holiday, for a blood ritual, they were trying to get them to instead give thanks or blessing. Instead of sacrificing your, you know, most beautiful virgin in the village to the seers of the village, which were pretty much just vile pigs, if you will, in the, for want of a better word, they were horrific, uh, just bestial men who were used as seers because they supposedly could go ahead and talk directly to the gods. And one of their prices that they demanded at this was to have the most nubial, nubile women of the village be given to them for their pleasure. Now, this was touched in on, on 300, of course, a really popular Hollywood movie, but it actually was based in a hardened old Roman theology and it also was based in other cultures. Now, we have hints of this in the Celtic culture, but we still have so much murky about the Celtic religions and traditions of that time. The only thing we can really go with at this point are some of the residuals that we have seen. So the sacrificing of the virgin was not a blood sacrifice so much as it was the sacrificing of her virginity to whatever representative of whatever God was. And they were trying to get away from that because of the morality that came with the Christian theology so now instead of sacrificing your virgin, you're supposed to worship the, the virginity, if you will. And when I say that, I'm not talking about, like, pray to the virgin. No. I'm saying that the virgin now is considered uh, holy. And, you know, the, they wanted to put them on a pedestal and make them become the, the substitute, if you will, for the Virgin Mary. So now instead of throwing them to old depraved men, you now are supposed to protect them and and this was very hard for a lot of pagans to adapt to because they're literally looking at this alien theology and can't understand how this concept could be that there was one god greater than all the multiple gods together. Now, what happened when it came to uh, the, the traditions that we have is that the, the Romans predominantly saw an opportunity to make an easier transition. Christ was born in the East. Per the Christian theology, Christ was born underneath the the star, and he was in a manger in Nazarene, in Nazareth. Well, here's the, the challenge that we have that a lot of people keep on bringing up, and the theology behind this is actually a little bit more simplistic than people try to make it. They try to overcomplicate it. The shepherds were out with their flocks, they saw the star, and they realized that the birth of a Lord had occurred or was occurring. During this time frame, they had three wise men from the east, which, once more, we're still east, so we're probably talking Mossad. We're probably talking, like, actual uh, Moors, if you will, you know, that the, um, the Turks, you know, this type of thing, that was kind of getting closer to the Western, but, you know, the world's a globe, people. So, but they were coming to see this prophecy occur, but they weren't coming to see the birth. They didn't show up for two years. All right? 
He was in a house at this point. He showed up at the house with Mary. Now, going back to the birth, we're talking about a child who was born during a time frame when it was warm enough that you could actually sleep in a stable or be outside with your sheep without it being too cold. Now, this is some of the justifications. Some people say, well, it couldn't have happened during December. Once more, remember, we're talking two different calendars. But I'm going to use the Gregorian to go ahead and keep this going because it will get very confusing if I have to keep on jumping back and forth. So let's just maintain what we're doing. The East doesn't get cold, people. At night, it can get very cold in the desert. But there are no seasons in that area like we have in the Western culture. It predominantly is a status when it comes to heat and always has been. Every once in a while, you get a real bizarre cold spell, like a century or whatever, and you'll get some little dusting of snow. Once more, at night, it's extremely viciously, you can get viciously cold because of that. But the, the, the standard of people thinking that it wasn't cold, it couldn't have been cold when Christ was born, is just it's ridiculous to think about. You're trying to put our seasons from Western civilization on the Eastern Hemisphere, and it doesn't work. Now, second thing, and, and you are right, Brian. I think the reason that it came up with the three wise men was because of the frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Uh, doesn't say just three wise men. There could have been multiple ones. And for all we know, for wise men, we don't know what they were talking about. Were they sheiks? Were they, they weren't royalty. They would have said kings. They would have said princes. Wise men is all they say. So maybe they were scholars and philosophers. Maybe these were individuals who were symbolic of tradition. And uh, they could have been monks for all we know. We don't know. We just know they came from the East. So, well, you know, that, 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 that's a good point to bring up. Thank you. Anyway, so. That, that kind of debunks that whole theory about, well, he couldn't have been born during X, Y, Z because of. No. However, the other thing to take into consideration for this whole particular thing is it was tax season. Annual tax time. The tax time that we have chosen for our country and has been chosen for most of Western civilization was based upon the Roman taxation time, which meant we're talking between February and April. Now remember, don't get wrapped around the months. Gregorian calendar, different calendar, we've already acknowledged that. But it was between February and April that they were having their tax audits. And the reason Mary and Joseph were going back to Nazareth was so that they could be identified and taxed. Now, when you take the theology out of it, the whole idea of Christ being a half-deity or, you know, the Son of God, and once more, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. I'm using logical terminology for what we're discussing. Mary was mortal. God's immortal. So half-deity, as far as the theology is concerned, let's continue the story. They could not find any place to, to, to go. The ends were all full, except for one small problem here. Joseph and Mary were not married. Not yet. As a matter of fact, this was a major problem prior because Mary was supposed to be stoned if Joseph told anybody she was pregnant with a child because the tradition of that era was that if you were an unmarried woman and you got pregnant out of redlock, 
then you were screwing around, and that meant death. When they came forward and they finally said it was this child of God, this was accepted by many of the the theology and the, the, the many of the the um, religious aspects that went along with their culture, which is fine. I'm not discounting the story. I'm just telling you chronologically. They would not have been turned away at the inn. They would have kicked other people out at the inn in order to make sure that a child of that religious magnitude was taken care of. It makes more sense that the reason that Mary and Joseph slept in the manger, in, in, the, in, the, in the barn, the stable, was because they didn't want to be found. There was already a bounty out by King Herod at this time, remember. He had started putting word out that he wanted this child because he was afraid of the power. So it makes more sense that the original view was that during tax time they showed up, they realized it was going to be a major problem when they found out they were pregnant because they were not married at the time. They had to go back for for um, audit. And so what happened, if you notice, they never say how they were taxed or how they were audited or if they even showed up at the Roman taxpayer. They just said they gave birth in the manger. And, you know, they were witness, the, the animals witness and the heavens witness, but there's, it really kind of stops right there very quickly. And I think one of the reasons, I think it's critical that we understand this aspect when it comes to the Christmas tradition. I think one of the reasons is because it, was, it had to be done in secrecy for fear of retribution from King Herod. So the stable and the manger and everything, it's a beautiful story. It's a great story. I think it's fantastic, and I think it's, fan, you know, to, to have the, the um, nativity scene. I think it's fantastic, but I think that it's erroneous in the way that we have it because we always have these three wise men who are showing up at the birth, and, you know, it, it, it's all this, this, this glory of the night. And I think, actually, it was under the cover of darkness. I really do. I, I think at this point what we're looking at is we're looking at a fact that they, they knew that something bigger in, in their life, they knew that something bigger than themselves was happening, and they had to be protective. So take your wise men out. You can put them, like, on a trail coming up, but you don't want them in the nativity scene because it just isn't accurate, unless you're a romanticist. And if you want to have them there, more power to you. It's your nativity scene. Okay. So next we have the tradition of Christmas carols. A lot of people love to talk about Christmas carols coming from the Romans and from the, the, the church. And you're half right. They came from the Romans, but it predates the church. This is once more a conversion the church did. The very first traditions that were celebrated during this time frame were actually polytheist. It's called Saturnalia in the Roman Empire. And what happened during Saturnalia is for two weeks at the end of the year, remember the Gregorian calendar was overlaid with different time frames and months than the original calendar, but the end of the year still is December to January. So at the end of the year, what would happen is that the Gregorians would go ahead and, you know, not Gregorians, sorry, as you were, I got sidetracked there. What would happen is the, the, the Romans allowed for two weeks out of the year, 14 full days, allowed anything and everything 
that you could possibly imagine. If you know, for those who know the movie The Purge, it's kind of that. Only it wasn't as sensationalistic. Okay. If you wanted to rape, rob, steal, lie, kill, murder, you know, run naked through the streets, you were allowed. And oftentimes, during this time frame of debauchery, you would have people that would get so drunk on ale and wine that they would literally strip naked and sing their dirty little ditties in the street. And it was it was actually quite common to find naked men sitting on a street corner singing about some buxom blonde or, you know, big-breasted barmaid that they'd run into, and you kind of go from there. So what happened is that for two weeks, the revelry commenced, gluttony, the whole works. During this two weeks' time frame, some poor sap that lived here in the Roman Empire had no clue who he was, predominantly came from Rome. Nobody knew who it was except for the Senate and the House afterwards. Was chosen. Now imagine you're sitting there and you've had two weeks of being able to do anything you want as a hedonistic lifestyle, and all of a sudden you wake up and you've got the, stol- the soldiers on your door saying, you're it. you got a hangover, you're half drunk still, you're half naked possibly, and now you're being drugged out of the city because you are now the blood sacrifice with the, the, the gutting. And the, what they would do is they'd take the individual, they'd lay them out, they'd go ahead and they'd literally slit the throat first, and then they'd gut them down. And while they bled out, they left them alive, they cut them, but they left them alive long enough to bleed out. And for those who work with, with uh, you know, doctors and medics and, and, you know, coroners, this type of thing, butchers too, they understand what I'm talking about. If you leave an individual alive when they're cut open or eviscerated, then they actually do bleed far more than if you just kill them because once the blood stops pumping, it starts pooling. So, yeah, I know we got a little sick there. John's going to kill me. Anyway, so that you would bleed out. And with the blood being flown into the, you know, into the, 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 the ground, what it was doing was purging all the sin that had occurred in the city throughout the entire year to the culmination of the last two weeks. And now the individual was representing the, the, the blood sacrifice to the god that represented that time frame, Saturnalia. Now, why is this important? Well, first of all, now we understand the revelry, we understand the caroling, which was once more converted. It was something that was more, it was it was um, base, it was salty, it was sexual in nature. It was sin in nature, and, you know, the Catholics converted, or the, the Romans, Catholics hadn't come around yet, but the Romans converted that into something pure, something holy. Now you carol, now you sing praises to God. You're still caroling, but you got your clothes on and you're not drunk. Saturnalia was depicted as an older gentleman with a white flowing beard, a red top hat, looked like a stocking, did not look like a stocking cap, okay, but a red top hat and a flowing robe that had red and holly wreaths and bows and and um, other natural twigs and this type of thing. And he had a staff that he would walk with. We're beginning to see the origins of the original Santa Claus. 
There is, by the way, curiously to note, there is no correlation between the term Santa Claus and Saturnalia. Don't get the two confused. Santa Claus' name came from someplace else. But we're starting to see the beginning of the icon of what we recognize today. The other thing that the Romans gave us during this time frame is the feast. You get together, you have your feast. But that's about it. Because now what we're going to do is we're going to jump to another culture. What would happen? Okay, it says here Saturnalia, the pagan, Roman pagan winter solstice festival. Uh, Saturnalia originated as a farmer's festival to mark the end of the autumn planting season in honor of Saturn, which is around, you know, Sawan, which is October, November time frame, but once more, end of year. Okay. What would happen if, when when we're talking about combining this stuff, remember we're talking this is all Western civilization, so there's several places it was plucked and combined. The Christmas tree, the Christmas tree that we know, actually came from the Vikings. Not only did they give us the, the, the Christmas tree, they gave us gift-giving, exchanging, they gave us the Yule Log. They gave us, a lot of people thought it was the Celts. No. I'll tell you where the Celts came in, okay? In Northern Europe, the Druids, priests of the ancient Celts, decorated temples with evergreen boughs as a symbol of everlasting life. This is where you start getting into the, the um, wreaths and this type of thing. The Vikings in Scandinavia thought evergreens were the special plant of the sun god, Baldr. So Germany was credited with starting the Christmas tree tradition. However, they didn't necessarily start it. They picked up, the Germanics picked up from the Vikings because the Vikings, instead of cutting down a tree, they'd decorate trees uh, and, and candle, you know, they put candles around trees and everything out in the village and around the forest to celebrate the everlasting life. The Germans were the ones who took a step further and said, let's go ahead and cut down that tree. Let's go ahead and bring it into our house and let it slowly die for two or three weeks and decorate it. So we've got a lot of, we've got the, the tradition of the Christmas tree. But where did our idea and concepts of how we celebrate Christmas now come to be? And I'm talking about throughout the world, or throughout the Western civilization. Believe it or not, how we all in the Western civilization, to include Europe, and other cultures, you know, for instance, um, you have some of Asia that's a little bit lower. We're not talking, you know, they're, they're blended in with the Western culture because they're so close. Uh, your Slavs, your America, uh, and when I say Americas, I'm talking about even down in, in South America, this type of thing. Do you really want to know where you have that actual now cultural recognition and identification of Santa on his sleigh? With your your cookies and milk, and have you been good or bad, and the children having to hang stockings and the whole works, folks, it all came from consumerism. That picture of what we consider to be Christmas today started with an ad campaign from Macy's, and it took off like wildfire. I want you to think about that. 
it started with Macy's, and it took off like wildfire. The actual buying of presents to ensure that you had the biggest gifts for everybody did not start until Macy's got involved. Before then, you used to make your gifts for each other. You used to give small things, things that, that would mean something to each other significantly, but at the same time, weren't you know they weren't really pricey. They just were special. Often, some people renew vows of, of loyalty and fealty and family to each other. But it wasn't until Macy's got involved with a brilliant, brilliant ad campaign that all of a sudden now you had to make sure you had the most presents underneath your tree for little Johnny. So when you see the Christmas stuff come out in August, we have who to blame for this? Ourselves. Because we have pushed to have the Black Fridays. We have pushed to have the sales. We have pushed to have the consumerism. We have made it to the point now that instead of being an actual family tradition of of renewing, if you're Christian, of actually celebrating Christ's birth, of actually celebrating his life for you, if you're not Christian, of celebrating this, the cycle of life when it comes to the pagan traditions of Yule and Solstice, we have gone so far off the rails when it comes to that, that literally it's a joke now that on Christmas Eve, your husband's still shopping because he doesn't know what to get you under the tree. And I want you to think about that. Well, Ireland's a little different, though, Brian. To be perfectly honest, for those that don't know, Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland, while they're separate countries, they still have kind of, they're still really soaked in tradition. They really are. I mean, it's it's not, let's be honest, Irish is too stubborn to change that much. So, but still, you know what I'm talking about. I, I said a little side note up here. I'm going to get this out of the way because it keeps on beeping at me. Uh, fruitcake. Where did it come from and why do we have it? Okay, a Christmas memory started in 1956. It was a short story by Truman Capote. And what happened is set into motion one of the most horrific, what I call horrific, things that was ever created or invented, and that is fruitcake. A nameless 60-something woman looks out of her kitchen window and exclaims, oh my, it's fruitcake weather. Her and her dearest friend, her seven-year-old live-in cousin buddy, begin amassing supplies for a seasonal four-day baking spree. And basically it goes to the thing, the, the whole concept of how to make it and, and, and what you're supposed to do with it. But what happened with this is that it took off. It was one of those strange things that just took off culturally, kind of like Pet Rocks did at one point, uh, kind of like your, um, well, oh, let's see, <laughs> Christmas candle, uh, I'm sorry, your birthday candles on your cake. It was just one of those odd little things that started on, on in a nameless little story that most of us have never even read, but it became such a rage that everybody forgot they hated it, and every year they make it, and then they remember why they hated it. <coughs> We had a fruitcake in our family that literally had been passed around for three generations, and I think at least everybody had it at least once. We all knew it was the same dang fruitcake, 
But the thing is, it was just kind of one of those things where somebody was obligated to get it. I don't even know what happened to it. I mean, I, I just have nightmares sometimes of thinking about that thing, sitting in someone's attic, kind of mutating into a life form. So anyway, that, that, that was a little side note that goes with that. So, but going back to the, to the tradition of Christmas, now that we've identified the fact that this was not a Christian theology as much as a political theology, or, you know, theology that was used to go ahead and convert. It wasn't a pagan theology. It was once more politics, very much so politics. And now it's been evolved into consumerism. Let's go ahead and look at how we can bring back in to our traditions and to our culture the meaning of Christmas when it comes to what it originally was intended for. One of the things I started with my kids this year, and I want to tell you, it's not easy. <laughs> oh, it sounds so easy. It's not. We decided that for two weeks prior, we are going to go ahead and donate our time to volunteer work of some nature. And it can't be, you know, raking somebody's lawn. It can't be shoveling someone's snow. I mean, that's cute and it's great. You're supposed to be doing that anyways, though, especially for the elderly. No, we wanted to go ahead and really come out with something that we could go ahead and do for two weeks that dedicates our time, helps other people, and makes the community better. This year, for instance, what we did is we're with a group of what's called Buy Nothing. It's a new great group greatest trend that's, that's taking the nation by storm and other places. Basically, it's where people get together and gift each other stuff that they no longer need, but someone else may. And it's good stuff. You know, we're talking good quality stuff. It's not like good, you know, stuff that you're going to throw away. For instance, I'm looking at uh, four or five travel suitcases. I've got a pile full of clothes here that are name brand that I have to still go through. I've got over here, let's see, we've, we have books, we have a baby, um, an actual baby swing, we have baby monitor, um, we had a TV earlier that was gifted, you know, and what happened is that I donated my time, or, and my kids donated their time this year, that what we did is we went around and we picked up and collected from everybody all these things, and now we're posting on Facebook in the different group what it is so that other people can find it and they can go ahead and, 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 and get it instead of having to look all over the place. And it's very time-consuming, I'll admit that. It, it's a lot more challenging than I thought it would be, but we're still giving back to the community because now we know that there are hundreds of families out there that are going to be getting something they really need this year from other members of the community who gave it to us to give to them, and therefore what we've done is we've actually strengthened the community. And we did it so that no one else would know whose name it was, and that's critical. As, as I've mentioned before, I'm pagan. I am a druid, and that's for another conversation. But one of the things about my religion and my culture is you're supposed to be giving things to the community or being there for the social community without your name coming off your lips. For instance, if you are thanking me for the new uh, coat, then you've identified me as the one who gave it to you, and therefore it's not really strengthening the whole community. If it's an anonymous and you know it came from someone in the community, now you have more trust for the whole community at, at all, and therefore what happens is that your social aspect that you're dealing with strengthens. So that's what we try to do. And it worked out wonders. 
Now, I know a lot of people listening to the show are going to go, well, I don't have time, you know, eight hours a day. Blah, blah. I get that. Find a soup kitchen. Donate some time at a soup kitchen. It's very simple, very cliche, but it still can be done, and you're still benefiting someone. You're not giving some homeless guy sitting on the corner money that you're not sure if he's an addict or food that if he is an addict he doesn't want or she doesn't want. They're just going to you know, leave there. You have no idea how many times we have driven by some of the hot spots for the homeless where they sit and they beg. And at the end of the day, you'll see piles of food. And you'll see literally piles of clothes because people have given it to them, but that's not what they're there for. They want the cash. You can't get high on a sandwich. Now, I'm not saying all homeless like that. I'm just, once more, another conversation, another story. Take that right out. We're trying to keep on the thread as a Christmas tradition. Donating in a soup kitchen or donating, you know, food to local communities. Donating some time for some foster kids, maybe. How about playing Santa for, you know, some for a foster care event? Or how about donating your time to take kids to an event that they may not be able to see? Donate is what I'm trying to say of your time. Give back to the community of your time. Now, this is not a socialistic aspect that we're talking about. What we're talking about is we have a cultural holiday that has been whittled and whittled and whittled away by consumerism, by um, lengthening the time frame we have to buy things and purchase things under its guise and name. Therefore, it no longer has that same sparkle towards the end of the year by the stress of our daily life where we're starting to focus more on our technology than we are on tradition. And to be perfectly honest, by a political platform for the last eight years that really wanted to get away from nationalism and go global. Get back into it by donating your time. Now, I am not telling you to go find somebody off the street and bring them into your house. Don't be stupid. What I am saying is that you can... Go through, and the next time you go shopping, buy $10 worth of canned goods and take them down to the local, you know, soup kitchen or to the local food bank. That's not going to kill you. It's not going to kill them. Unless you're so broke you can't afford $10, then you may be the one having to go to the soup kitchen. I get that. But if you are one of those having to go to the soup kitchen, why don't you volunteer your time there? Go work for it. You know, help out. Volunteer some babysitting time for people you know. I know there's a couple of women in the neighborhood I would love to go ahead and take care of. I don't have time because I'm already on a project. And I'm going to tell you something else. Don't spread yourself too thin. Do not be that yes person who literally turns around one day and realizes you have overscheduled yourself, you have nothing left, and you are so ragged at this point you can't even help yourself, let alone anybody else. Okay? So pick a project, stick to it, and feel good with it. With that being said, we're going to go ahead and talk about the charities, do's and don'ts of the year. We've got 20 minutes left. Perfect. There are a lot of charities out there that people don't think about because they don't really hear about them. The big-name charities that we hear about, such as UNICEF, Salvation Army, 
uh, Red Cross, they're starting to come out with some serious black eyes. Now, do they do a lot of good? A lot of them do, yeah, in certain circumstances. But they're coming out with some serious black eyes that you may or may not want to go ahead and donate to them anything, including goods, because of what we have been seeing more and more of lately. For instance, it has been proven, if you happen to be pro-LGBT, and you happen to be, you know, pro-modernistic values, and what I'm talking about here doesn't make it a good value or a bad value, it's just your viewpoint is that if you're an adult, you should be able to have sex with whoever you want as a consenting adult, as long as they're consenting and no victims. Salvation Army may not be the place you want to go ahead and donate to. And the reason being is because Salvation Army is a very seriously ingrained in the Catholic Church uh, donation agency that if you are homosexual or you're living in sin, they will not allow you in the shelters together. And you, well, you're not allowed in the shelter, period, if you're homosexual. They will turn you away. They do not care if you die, point blank. And the reason being is because they are very much against LGBT and they're very much against premarital sex. Now, I'm not telling you to make a decision based on what I'm saying. I'm saying work it out yourself. And if you happen to have political views that are against that, don't donate to them. If you happen to have political views that are for that, for all means, please donate to them because then you're donating to an individual that you appreciate and that you support. Remember what I said. Find your platform, stick to it. UNICEF. UNICEF has been proven to take between 30 to 50% of the proceeds and use it for their overhead versus going to actual charities. Red Cross. Red Cross, boy, Hurricane Katrina, Houston, and uh, Florida. Yeah, they came out with so many black eyes on this one, like literally throwing away donations, telling people they couldn't donate anymore, then turning around and giving crappy stuff out. I mean, it was really mishandled. They need to go ahead and reorganize. Personally, I'm not giving to Red Cross. I never will. Blood, yes. Anything else, no. However, have you ever heard of St. Jude? On my research, I found out St. Jude actually does use a majority of its of its donations to do such things as house family members of six children so that, you know, like Ronald McDonald, uh, where they can go ahead and be close to them to help pay some of the bills while their child is sick and going through of uh, surgeries and this type of thing to help the family sustain themselves. Doctors Without Borders is another one that you can donate to in lieu of a gift. And these are lesbians who who just really just want to help the world, and so they, they're trained, they go out, and they, they go to those places that you and I really don't want to think about exist, and they help out. Project Hope. That's another good one. Now, these are ones that I am looking at from the Better Business Bureau when it comes to charity ratings, okay? Uh, let's see here. We have, waiting for this to come up. Come on, you can come up faster than that. I'm on the radio, dang it. Okay. As I was saying before, one of the things to think about is can you donate time, goods, or services more than money? Because that actually is what people need more. Yes, Money works great, but it can also be misused. If you're donating food, they can't really take that in lieu of a paycheck, okay? So, um, oh, 
by the way, be careful of any of the charities that want you to donate massive amount of stuff through a funnel system where they do not tell you where it comes out the other end. What I mean to talking about here is like when you have these pop-up charities that say, hey, we're going to be supporting the homeless in Seattle. Um, my name is We Care. Okay, so how long? Oh, just this year, blah, blah, blah. And so you donate a ton of your stuff. And then you find out that what they're doing is they turn around and they're selling it in a second-hand store and nobody's getting any of it. There was a huge scandal with uh, the clothes donation bins that we see that was that broke out where it turned out they had an entire uh, human trafficking ring who was actually using those clothes, selling them in a second-hand, or using it to, to clothe their slaves. And... Um, they were they were literally <laughs> you were supporting human trafficking. So just be careful with those. Um best charity to give. I hate um that work that does not work for me. So choose charities that you can actually look at and say, Okay, this is their track record. You're not having to give money as much as you are donating your time, a good or a service. And one that either is directly going to impact your local community or if you don't want, you know, if you want to give vicariously to, to some charity, for instance, like, um, oh, what's that guy's name? He's the, the minister who gets up there and says for 20 cents a day you can feed a child in Africa. That's great. If you want to do that, that's fine. However, I don't have enough information on that charity or actually how it works really to know if you and 14 other people just got the same picture of the same kid in broken English saying, Tonko, you know, because and it's a, it turns out to be a Google picture. You don't know. So my recommendation is local. Goods, services, not money, and through a community, a commu uh, through a charitable community that you recognize as one that the output of is supporting your beliefs. Uh, Home for Unwed Mothers is a really good one to look into. Homes for Unwed Mothers. Those are young girls who, you know, they've gotten pregnant and they have no place to go. Be careful, though, because some of these are now fronts for actual, once more, human trafficking. I really hate to say that during this time frame, but it's, it's the truth. Big Brothers, Big Sisters, a good place to donate your time, especially around Christmas. Uh, another thing you can do is you can go ahead and toys for, toys for Tots. That's always a good place to go ahead and donate. Uh, some of your stores have the local drives where you put food in or this type of thing for it. That's great as long as it's not monetary they're trying to give. And the reason we're trying to get away from the monetary is because once it's twofold. Number one, because you can't control where that money goes, so you don't know if it's going in some administrator pocket versus some kid. Number one. And number two, we're trying to get away from the commercialization of, this, of, this, of the season, right? We're trying to get back to the tradition of this being the, the, the season to give and to be given and, and, and to enjoy. So basically that, that's it in a nutshell. Um, what else? Oh, really good opportunity. Really good opportunity for those who support soldiers and veterans. This time of year, it's a really good opportunity to adopt a soldier who happens to be overseas and cannot get home. Send care packages. We're not talking.
talking you don't have to break the bank on these things, people. What I'm saying is that you can go ahead and give back to the community. It gives you that altruistic feeling of, of, of accomplishment, and it makes you feel better about yourself as well as the fact the community is stronger. And it gives an overall feeling of a more unified entity instead of the compartmentalized one we have now where it's rushed to find a parking spot Get that gift for Danny check. Get that gift for Jolly check. Get that gift for Mom check. Dad didn't get one check. I mean, let's be real. This should be a time when we're actually all celebrating, depending on what your religious theology is. doesn't matter. This should be a time we're all celebrating life versus wondering if the bank account is going to sustain another Christmas. Now, the other thing to take into consideration is if you're not maxing out the credit cards, you're not putting yourself into the funk for the next year. So, you know, oh, one last thing that I had on my list that I forgot to say. If you want to really donate something, find something you're good at and donate teaching to a kid or to a class. Cooking, maybe. Sewing. Driving, you know, unless you're a pedophile. Let's be honest. You guys stay away from the kids. We don't need you. We really don't. You want to donate, that's fine. You can donate vicariously, like working in a soup kitchen, behind the wall, where you're working with adults, and you don't have any access to kids. All right? Enough said. So that pretty much covers this show. I I know it's a little different from what I normally do, but I wanted to go ahead and kind of touch base again and see if we can't maybe as a challenge – Make this year more Christmas, Yule, winter solstice, less commercialized, you know, capitalistic and egotistical. Because, folks, if you're watching, there's more and more of those kids coming out talking about how they didn't get the black I-6. They got the pink I-6, so they're going to burn it or blow it up because it's not what they wanted. And that's just not what this is supposed to be about. That's the show for the day. Next week, we are going to get back on track with what we're dealing with uh, our standard. I think we're going to do next year. I'm sorry, next week. The 22nd. It's right before Christmas. Exciting show. Next week, I'm breaking down the budget for those who don't know. I'm also breaking down what the federal government has had cut off, gutted, and removed from its power. Big news today also, Contra Radio Network Store is now open. It's online. Our website's going live here this next week. John and I are working on it. We have some new exciting speakers coming up. Last week's show, I had someone on, and it just didn't work because my computer, my my Internet (coughs) cut out. Um, And uh, we'll we'll go ahead and work on it. but to make a long story short, we've got some new exciting things coming. Look for the first of the year for big news coming out from the White House. A lot of big news coming from the White House. And I will be here to go ahead and translate it for you so that you know the truth instead of the hype. So, good night. You all have a great one. I'm probably going to call it early tonight. Talk to you later. Bye. <laughs>